You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. About temptation. Purity. Relationships. Addiction. Sex. Pornography. Well, my first look, I was hooked. And did you ever have sex? Adult entertainment. X-rated secrets. Added consumers of sex abuse scandal. Pornography. If you Porn addiction. Even a lot of to look at porn every day. Nobody knew anything. I thought that I was the only person in the world who uh, was even involved in this sort of stuff. The hidden secret, the hidden sand that you're not supposed to discuss with anybody. God, I don't want to have these feelings. I don't want to have these thoughts. It is a very beautiful thing that the world is ruining. It's like it's a a cuss word. I don't think we have the right to blame culture. We as believers need to be equipped to give an account, to give a response. Get over the awkwardness. Talk to somebody. Who else is going to if I don't? It's not just going to go away if we ignore it. So are you ready to talk about it this morning? I didn't hear a lot of amens. <laughs> I remember between my uh, junior and senior year of college, um, I, I went to Sandersville, Georgia, this small town in southeast Georgia, uh, to be a, a summer intern youth pastor. And so there was this couple in the church who were in their early 60s. Her name was Annie, and his name was Lois, L-O-Y-C-E. And their daughter was grown and married and gone. And they said, well, we have room in our house. Rick could stay with us. That's okay. And so I stayed in their home that summer. Um, I didn't get to eat a lot of meals with them because life was pretty busy. But once in a while on a weeknight, Annie would cook and I would eat, I would eat dinner with them. And so she would, she would say, okay, y'all come on to the table now. And so Lois and I would go to the table But there was nothing on the table. What I learned was that there was this ritual that occurred. After we sat down, then Annie would start bringing the food and putting it on the table. And as she would start bringing the food to the table, Lois would start bragging on Annie. And and, and she loved it. And she would grin and roll her eyes and look at me. And he would say, oh, don't bring no more, baby. I'm not going to be able to get up from here as it is. And then he would say, Annie, you made all of my favorites in one night. And she would just smile. Finally, she would get it all on the table. And she sat down that very first night I ate with them. And uh, now Annie was not a, a small person. She was tall and her shoulders were broad. And she would, she would often announce her weight. She would say, last time I weighed, I weighed 244 pounds. I've noticed since then that some females are not comfortable announcing their weight. But Annie was completely okay with it. And so she would always say, Law, I weigh 244 pounds. And so finally, uh, it, was, it was a hot summer Georgia night. Uh, they didn't run their air conditioner. They, they were very careful with their money. And they had saved almost all of it up to that point. And so, and so it was hot and it was humid. And that kitchen was hot. And Annie sits down and she looks over at Lois and she goes, I reckon it's ready. Meaning that Lois could pray. And Lois just was so proud. He looked at that table and he looked at Annie just sweating. And he said, look at you. My big sugar lump. You're just a melting and a running down, ain't you, baby? 
<laughs> I, I've been married to Annette for almost for over 27 years now, and, and I've never gotten up the courage to refer to her as my big sugar lump. Never have. Never have done that. I don't know what you see when I tell that story or when you picture that couple, but what I see is love. In this beautiful picture of marriage and connectedness and intimacy and unity, I, I, I see in reality this verse that I find in the book of Genesis where a man will leave his father and his mother and he will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. I, I, don't, I don't think I understand it all completely. I just know that I was sitting here the other day in first service on the front row and my wife Annette came up to sing in an ensemble and I turned to the person beside me and I said, man, look at Annette. And, and we think it's funny because the older we get, we think we get better looking to each other. And we know that must be a God thing, you know? But it's this awesome plan that God has of love and marriage and romance and unity and intimacy and connectedness. I guess the question I'm asking myself this week is, how did we get here then? This distorted view of sex, this, this, um, this misusing, this gift that God has given us. And I understand that if you study world history, we're not the first society to be where we are. What I do know, though, is it's not working. What we are doing right now is not working for us. And as a nation, we continue to suffer the consequences of this distorted view that we have of this gift of sex that God has given us. So here's what I want to say to you today, okay? When a person crosses that line, when a person gives in to sexual temptation, when a person crosses the line of what God intended, when a person ignores the Word of God in regarding to sexual activity, when a person misuses sex, it will cost that person something they cannot afford to pay. And that's what I'm going to show you in Scripture this morning. When a person crosses the line, when a person commits sexual sin, when a person misuses sex in a way that God did not intend, I promise you, it will cost something that you do not have the ability to pay. So we're in a series called Clear the Stage, and that's why the stage looks like it does. And we've been saying, what if this stage represents our lives? And what if we're able to move some things out of our lives to help us focus on Jesus? And so, here's what I'm wondering this morning. You ready? I'm wondering if somebody would say to me, Rick, you've been challenging me to think about what is center stage in my life. If I'm going to be completely honest, okay? I'm going to tell you that this distorted view of sex and this misuse of sex, that is the center of my life. I make great sacrifices for it and I pursue it with great energy. And it's the only thing 
that I can think of that keeps Jesus from being at the center of my life. And I wonder if anybody is saying, and I don't want to live there anymore. So I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 13, okay? Maybe you don't normally open your Bibles as I read the Scripture to you, but maybe this morning you would say, I think this morning I want to open my Bible to that passage. 2 Samuel chapter chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. It's a little bit graphic, okay? Now, I, I, I'm not, you know, trying to make you uncomfortable or put you in a position to where you feel like you've got to stare at the carpet the rest of the service. And I'm certainly not encouraging that we set a mic up here and we invite people to come and make public confession about sexual sin. We will not be doing any of that this morning, I promise you. But I think that if I'm going to be a good pastor, then I think there's times when I've got to talk about topics like this. And so that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm going to be candid, I'm going to be forthright, I'm going to be up front, okay? And so let me take you to the Word of God this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 13. Here we go. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, now you remember that David is the king of Israel, okay? So he has a son whose name is Amnon. I don't think I've ever met anybody in my life whose name was Amnon, and there's probably a reason for it, okay? But in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Wait a minute, I thought Amnon was the son of David. Well, he is. And Absalom is the son of David, yes. And Absalom has a sister named Tamar, yes. So here's the deal. David had many wives. By one wife, he has a son named Amnon. By another wife, he has a son named Absalom. And by that same wife, he has a daughter named Tamar. And so this is Amnon's half-sister. So there's a whole lot in this story that's going to make you raise your eyebrows, okay? So Amnon became so obsessed, so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. He became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemiah, David's brother, which means that that's his first cousin, okay? Because this first cousin, Shemiah, is, uh, Jonadab, rather, is Amnon's first cousin. Kind of like in the palace, you hire a lot of family. You know what I'm saying? So first cousins, all that are working. So um, he asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? And so Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, why don't you try this? Why don't you go to bed and pretend to be ill? And when your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. And so Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, Hey, Dad, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make me some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. And so David sent word to Tamar at the palace, Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. And so Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread at his side and baked it. And then she took the pan and served him the bread 
but he refused to eat. He says, send everyone out of here. And so everyone left. And then Amnon said to Tamar, Tamar rather, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from making me or from, from me being married to you. I told you there's a lot in the story that will raise your eyebrows. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Only two more sentences here. You ready? Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up and get out. Stories in the Bible can be a little dicey. When I went to work at my last church, there was an office manager there. Her name was Becky, and she was married to a guy whose name was Greg. I remember the very first Mother's Day that I was there, Greg bought Becky a brand new convertible, a brand new car for Mother's Day. It seemed to me that he set the standard a little high for the rest of us, you know what I mean? And so I gave him a hard time about it. I, I said to him, said to my wife Annette, rather, in his presence, Annette, didn't you think that the convertible that Greg bought Becky was awesome for Mother's Day? And didn't you appreciate the card and the box of chocolates that I bought you? It just seemed to me that he set the standard a little high. You know what I'm saying? And so we were giving him a hard time about it. And so he gave it to her on Saturday. And then Sunday she drives it to church. And, and they're telling everybody. And then on Monday morning, I was working with this pastor then called Kevin Bell, whose daughters attend our church, Abby and Sarah. And, and, uh, and he was a funny guy. And so on his way to work on Monday morning, he, he calls Becky because he knows she's the first one in the office and she's going to answer the phone. And he says, with a disguised voice, playing a joke now, he says, um, yeah, may I speak with Greg Pritz, please? And Becky said, well, Greg doesn't work here. That's my husband. Uh, this is my work number, not his. And he said, well, this is the number he gave me. And she said, well, okay, maybe I can help you. And he said, yeah, my name is Ray from Enterprise Rental Car. I was just wondering when he's going to bring the convertible back. And so Becky says, well, there's got to be some mistake. My husband bought me a convertible, but he didn't rent one. And so Kevin says, ma'am, you'll have to take that up with your husband. All I know is I've got a couple here sitting waiting to drive it to Vegas this morning. So then he starts laughing, and we laughed all day. We thought it was a funny joke that he played on her. 
So what if that afternoon, Monday evening, Greg would have called Becky and said, what, what's up, are you working late? And Becky would have said, no, I'm in the car, I'm, I'm going for a drive, I love it. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there would be this sense of pride. She loves this gift I bought her. Okay, well, come on home, though. I'm hungry. We've got to get dinner. No, Greg, I'm not coming home. I'm driving the car for a while. Don't push me, okay? I like the car. I'm going to spend some time and don't wait up. And after about three days of that, I think Greg would finally come to a place of saying, I'm not for sure. I bought her the car as this gift of love, thinking that it would be great in our relationship and thinking that it would draw us closer together. But I'm beginning to wonder if she loves the gift I gave her more than she loves me. So you're one step ahead of me? At what point does the gift become more important to us than the giver? At what point does sex take center stage in a person's life? I've been telling you that a great book to read through this series is Kyle Eidelman's God's at War. And Kyle Eidelman says that you would think, you would think that the gift of sex would make us love and worship the giver more deeply. But instead, it often becomes the greatest competitor for our souls and our hearts. You would think... You would think that this great gift of sex that God has given us would make us love the giver more deeply. But often what happens, Eidelman says, is that it becomes the greatest competitor of our hearts. So let me just push the pause button, okay, for a minute. I'll stop yelling. I, I, I should say this because I don't want you to misunderstand me. There's nothing bad with sex. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing dirty with sex. There's nothing evil about sex in itself as God intended sex to be used. Sex, sex brings, you know, in a, in a relationship between a man and a woman who are married together, it brings, you know, it brings connectedness and it brings intimacy and it brings satisfaction and it brings pleasure and it brings unity and it brings... Children! But when it is misused, after it always gives what it initially promised, which is always temporary and fleeting, what it gives that we don't want is long-lasting. And that is emptiness and loneliness and separation. And children... And so, I've watched people over the years. And I've watched what it's cost. And my heart is broken as I've watched it cost people jobs. And I've watched it cost people marriages. And I've watched it cost people the ability to live in their home with their children. And I've watched it cost people money. And I've watched it cost people the reputation. The costs are overwhelming. So here you have Amnon. Amnon has fallen in love with Tamar. I, I, remember, I remember one day, I was in my office, and uh, this is years ago, and, um, and, and I got a phone call, and it was a lady who attends our church, and um, 
I don't know why I just did that. I think I preach better if my socks are pulled up. I'm not sure what that's all about. But um, she says to me, Pastor Rick, do you know what's going on with our family? And I said, no, I, I don't. I, I didn't know anything was going on. And she said, well, and she talked about her husband is in this relationship and he's left me and, and it looks like that he's, he's decided on a divorce. And I was shocked. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it from anybody. I just, you know, this guy was quiet. He was supportive. He was, the, he was the ultimate volunteer. He was always coaching his kids. His wife was in the midst of all of that. They were tight. He was good. I just, I couldn't believe it. And so I called him. And he said, oh no, I didn't, I didn't want this phone call. I'm sorry. I've let a lot of people down. I've let you down. And facing you is, is hard. I want to see you. I want to meet with you. No, I, I, I don't want to meet with you, Rick. I love you. I want to meet with you. Okay, I'll meet with you. I remember when we sat down together, the story just kind of unfolded. You know, I work evenings and I go in at like three and don't get off until midnight, sometimes one or two. I work overtime and there was a girl, she was much younger. She was going through a lot of problems. It didn't seem like she had a lot of help in her life. Initially, I was just trying to help her. But then we were spending every dinner break together. And then nobody knows what time I get off or what time I get home. It's always changing with overtime. And I would stand in the parking lot sometimes for an hour at one in the morning talking to her. And pretty soon she was all I could think of. I couldn't believe that somebody so much younger than me would be interested in me. And I crossed the lines. And I found myself in a relationship with her. And I've messed it up. And I've messed everything up. And I said, God, God will forgive you. You can get back on track. And he says, I can't. What do you mean you can't? I, 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 can't, I can't leave this. I, I, can never, I can never see my life without her. But your wife, I know, I know my, everybody knows, and everybody tells me, she's wonderful, I know that. We've had problems like any marriage, but she's awesome. But your kids, I know, I love my kids, you coach, you do, I know, I know, I know, I know what you're going to say. I can't, I can't walk away, Rick. What do you mean you can't walk away? When, when the story of Amnon is told in the book of 2 Samuel, here's the word that is used. You ready? The word is obsessed. Do you know what obsessive is? It's when my whole life is focused on one thing and everything else is a blur. All I see is this one thing. And that's what happened to my friend. All he saw was this young girl. And he couldn't see values. And he couldn't see what it was going to do to his kids. And he couldn't see what it was going to do to his wife. And he couldn't see what it was going to do to his reputation. And he couldn't see how much it was going to cost. All he could see was one thing. He was obsessed. And I can't see anything else. All I can see is that. And nothing else really matters right now. And so he puts together a plot. And unfortunately, the plot works. And the Bible says that after the act, Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, it says that he hated her more than he had loved her before. 
it cost you something that you don't want to pay. It promises pleasure. It gives pleasure, but it's fleeting. And what it gives you that you didn't ask for is very long-lasting. It will stay with you a lifetime. I, I feel like that I've got, to, I've got to tell you a little bit more of the story. I didn't read it all, but let me just take you where it goes, okay? So what happens to, to Tamar is this. Tamar lives a desolate life. She has been disgraced, and in her society, there is no hope for Tamar. There is no life for Tamar. Her brother Absalom takes her in because she will never be married. And the Bible says that she lived as a desolate woman. Absalom lies in wait for an opportunity. And when the opportunity comes, you better believe he takes it. And you know what he does? He kills his brother Amnon because of what he did to his sister Tamar. David, the king, obviously now has division with Absalom. And Absalom now conspires to take the kingdom from his father. And the nation is torn. And finally, Absalom loses his life. When you sin, when I sin... We never pay the consequences alone. Others will suffer the consequences with us. When you sin, when I sin, we never suffer the consequences alone. The people that we love will suffer the consequences with us. It always affects others. Uh, I know you're thinking with me. Um, you, you might say, the, the guy was nuts. What was he thinking? So, do me a favor, okay? Just, just go through this with me. Trust me on this, okay? We're going to rewind. We're going to rewind all the way back. And let's say that you or I could have had a conversation with Amnon. In the very beginning of this lustful thought that he had, because that's really... You know, obsessive, present-day vernacular says he was lusting and fantasizing for Tamar. That's what it boils down to. And so let's go back and we say, Amnon, we've got to talk to you, man. We, we have got to have a conversation now with you before this thing goes any further. We know you're having thoughts about Tamar. You don't understand this, but there is this book, and it's called a Bible. And, and I know that it hasn't been written yet, only a small part, but one day it will be, the, okay, we're going to sell books eventually, but it'll be the best-selling book ever in the history of the world, and Amnon, you're going to be in the book. And what you've got to decide is what people read about you, okay? Because Amnon, if you keep thinking like you're thinking, because you're becoming obsessed with Tamar, and if you keep on this track, here's what could happen. You could disgrace her, and you could steal her virginity from her, and you could leave her a desolate woman. This woman, Amnon, that you think so much of, that, that, that you are so in love with, do you want to ruin her life? And then let me tell you what else will happen. Absalom will become so discontented with you that he will kill you. And then he and his father will get into it. And then he will try to take the kingdom from it. The whole nation is going to suffer. And he's going to lose his life. You've got to back up, Amnon. You can't let this happen. You know what Amnon is going to say? Have you lost your mind? All I'm doing is allowing myself to have some lustful thoughts. I'm a man lusting for a woman, okay?
I remember one Sunday morning, standing on the platform of our church, and behind me were 80 people. And there was a young pastor standing with them. We gave them $150,000, and our DS was there, and he gave them $50,000. And they all attended our church. And we said, this is the last Sunday these 80 people will be with us. They're going to plant a new church 25 miles away. We had dreamed, we had prayed, given. We worked with a company called the Portable Church. They were going to use this school building. And the portable church just kind of put together this trailer with boxes, big boxes that rolled off the trailer. And everything you needed to set up church in that school was in those boxes. From a sound system to rocking chairs for a nursery to coffee makers, you name it. It was all in those boxes. And those people came down and they began to kneel at the altar. And we all put our hands on them and we prayed for them. And we sent them, go plant this church. About six months into it, the church was not running 80 people any longer. It was now running about 120 people. To me, it felt like the perfect start. Everything was going great. At month nine, I got a phone call one morning. The pastor had resigned from the church. He had surrendered his ministerial credentials. And he was no longer with his wife. There was a lady in the community that started coming to the church and he had become involved with her and was living in a relationship with her. I remember going out and meeting with that group of people and they said, we sold our houses and we moved 25 miles away. We put our kids in different schools. We're not giving up. We're planting a church here. And we brought in another pastor and he worked really hard. And over the years, we just kept watching it go down lower and lower and lower. And a few months ago, I got a phone call and the pastor said, Rick, we had to close the little church. He said, we tried hard. I said, oh, I know. About a year after all of that went down, He resigned. I looked up one Sunday morning and coming into the foyer of our church was that that guy. I'd been meeting with him. He was truly sorry for what he had done. And I went to get to him as quickly as I could. I wanted to encourage him. I'm glad you're here. I don't know how he showed his face to be honest with you. He had attended our church for a year, recruiting people to come and join him to help him plant the church. But before I could get to him, another lady got to him and she said, You let me get my arms around you, young man. And she put her arms around him and she hugged him and she held him and they cried. And a guy named Ronnie came up and he got his arms around him and he hugged him and he cried, you know. Why? Because God forgives. People mess up and God forgives. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of, I'll let you go at it again. We can do it this time. God is full of grace and God is full of mercy and God is full of forgiveness. Before I knew it, over in this corner of the foyer, there were lots of people trying to get at this guy to hug him. What if we could rewind this? 
hey, let me talk to you, man. I know that this lady's coming to your church and I know that you, you're having some feelings and you're having some thoughts. You, you gotta surrender these to Jesus. I'm telling you, it's not right because what could happen is that you could become kind of obsessed with her. You could get to the point that she becomes center stage of your life and she's all that matters and you can't see anything else. Everything else is blurry. Your marriage commitment to your wife and this dream about planting a church, it could all get really blurry. And I'm telling you, one day you could lose everything and one day we might have to close the doors on this thing. I think he would have said to me, Rick, that's not going to happen. Do you know the Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion roaming the earth looking for somebody to what? Hurt? No. Destroy. He's looking for somebody to destroy. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to destroy you. And so the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else. Above what? Above all else. What do you mean above all else? I mean above everything else. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from your heart. That's why in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, take every thought and make it captive and obedient to Christ. Every thought, you've got to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. Because it all starts in the heart. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, honor God with your body. And I'm, I'm afraid somebody's looking at me saying, it's too late, Rick. I am a long way down a very dark road. Pastor Rick, you don't get it, okay? But pornography has become part of my daily diet. I am addicted. I am hooked. I can't quit. I can't stop. I try. I can't do it. Somebody may be saying, Pastor Rick, my thought life was gone a long time ago. I, I didn't take control of my thoughts. My thought life is out there. Somebody may be saying, right now, today, Pastor Rick, I'm in a relationship that I have no business being in. I am a long way down a very dark road. We have a wonderful thing that takes place every Tuesday night here. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is for people who are living with hurts in their life. What do you mean by hurts? I mean somebody has hurt them, like someone who has gone through a a difficult divorce or somebody who has been hurt by someone else, somebody who has been abused, people living with real hurt in their life. It is also for people who are dealing with addiction, either chemical addiction or maybe a sexual addiction. It's also for people with hang-ups, people who are suffering from depression or other things that they say, I just can't get beyond in my life. Rick, I don't, I don't know that I could go to my own church to celebrate recovery. You can talk to somebody, right? What I've been dreaming and what I've been praying for and what I've been envisioning this last week as I've prepared to preach this is that God is going to set somebody free today. Someone came to me recently and said, Rick, this is the hardest conversation 
I've ever had in my life. I'm ashamed you are my pastor, but I am addicted to pornography. I can't stop. Can I tell you today that that person is better? That person is winning the war, not losing it. There is a plan, and something is happening in that person's life, and they are moving forward. I want to see you win. What do you need to move off the stage of your life? And what does it take to put Jesus at the very center? I've asked Kyle if he would come this morning and remind us of the words of this song. I want you to hear them again. I want you to have a few moments to contemplate. I want you to have a few moments to think before we go. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will speak to us in these moments through the words of this song. And so just listen closely. We've been talking about it for three, four weeks now. Just listen and let God speak to you. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's few then have revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social Then seek the Lord and pray for what He has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can Sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Worship is more than a plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper and beg him please to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister and shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open Till your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can sing all you want to Yes you can sing all you want to You can sing all you want to And still get it wrong Worship is more than Oh
everything I put before my God is an idol. And anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. And anything that I give all my love is an idol. Because I can sing all I want to. It's okay. Sing all I want to. please and let me pray for you before we go so father I'm praying this morning that you will give someone courage courage to take captive a thought courage Lord to guard their heart courage Lord to have a conversation courage Lord to confess to the right person and to you Courage to stop. Courage to turn around. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.